Welcome to Season 4, Episode 4 of Game Level Learn. I'm Tracy Wozenegger, and I am joined, as always, by my dear friend and co-host, John Cassie. Hello, John. Hello, Tracy. How are you? Oh, living the dream. How are you? <laughs> Great. <laughs> uh, listeners, we've had one of the most extraordinary pre-shows I've ever had to this program with Tracy. That's why and I'm our, laughing. And we're, <laughs> Tracy's already beside herself, and you you know, <laughs> listeners, that that uh, my my first and primary objective is to get Tracy beside herself as soon as possible. <laughs> so we start the episode exactly where we need to be. I, I am quite confident that this episode's going to be a stem winder. Uh, yeah. Tracy, what have you been playing? Um, as always, Delta Green, of course. Um, just about to finish up a little scenario. We're doing terribly. Um. Uh-huh. <laughs> Yeah, we're just basically running around like a bunch of idiots with no sense of what we're supposed to be doing. Right. Um, so that's a good time. Um, letter Jam still. Oh, that game um, is so I hard. Still, yeah, we played it at Game Level Learn Con too, and um, that was rough. It was rough. It was rough. We still, yeah. We, we still love it. Um, and I played um, Museum finally for the first time. Oh, nice. Um, that looked really which, good. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Um, I've uh, talked to Tim a little bit about it because after his presentation, every game I play, I'm now thinking about what the message of the game is. And the museum is definitely a little bit bit problematic um, because you are taking artifacts from other countries and (laughs) displaying them in your European museum. Um, But it was still tons of fun. (laughs) It didn't stop me from having a good time. Right. Sorry, Tim. <laughs> All boys and girls love colonialism. <laughs> yes. Right? Uh yeah. I played Letter Jam at an event last week, Tracy. Okay. And I'm pretty sure I was bleeding out of my eyes. It's trying so to good. so good. Ridiculous. <laughs> I, Why is it I, so hard? I don't even get it. I spelled the word habitat Ooh. as a clue. Wow. That was like the peak of my intelligence and my entire, it's all downhill from now on. God bless. That was it. That was peak Tracy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You'll be, you'll be done in a year. That's right. Yeah. Um, This weekend, I, we had a couple of our dear friends down from up north and our whole goal, we planned this weekend out months ago, was to play backbreakingly hard games. Okay. And we played uh, a game called The Gallerist which has 9,000 mechanics all moving at the same time. You're basically sure. playing um, art gallery curators. Okay, It's okay. by this guy named Vital Lacerda. He's a Portuguese designer. All of his games come in these ridiculously oversized boxes, and they're loved by people who love really complicated games, right? Yeah. He did one about the rebuilding of Lisbon after an earthquake and one okay. about running a vineyard called Vinhos, and just did a game called On Mars, which is basically a kind of a Mars colonization kind of game his stuff is his designs are great i don't know how you'd ever use them for game-based learning because i can barely understand how to play them right <laughs> um and we played a game called tricarion which oh. is like 19th century um magicians oh. it's like a worker placement kind of thing where you you have to go to the market and buy the stuff you need to make your tricks and you go to the magic shop to get the tricks you can perform, and then you go to the theater and you perform them kind of thing, right? 
That's but cool. It's only five turns, so the ramp is like, and yeah. I don't have any material, and now woo, it's well, the end done. of the game, right? Yeah, yeah. So super great, super great stuff. Um, but none of them are as hard as Letter Jam. God bless. Right? <laughs> so Tracy, enough, Letter enough of us. Jam. Enough, Enough of, us. of us. As you know, folks, in season four, we have a guest with us on every episode of Game Level Learn, and we have an extraordinarily special guest today, a very, very dear friend of mine, old friend. We've been at this a long time. Tracy, who do we have? We have today with us, Christian Hintz. We're very happy that you're here with us. Hi. <laughs> we Hi. sure are. <laughs> I'm thrilled to be here myself. How are things in St. Louis? Uh, rainy, gray, and very oh, Midwestern. What? Okay. <laughs> Not too bad. Yeah. You know, paying the bills, that's Midwestern, you know. Right. Right. Shovel in the snow, paying the bills, going to work. I wish there was snow. It's just gray and wet in, in, in St. Louis. That's all. Yeah. It doesn't snow enough to do anything. Not cold enough to be cold. Not warm enough to be warm. Just enough to be wet. Right. Not, right. Right. But spring's around the corner, so. Spring's right. around the corner. I'm forward to that. I was in uh, I was in Philadelphia a couple of weeks ago for a conference, right? And the first two days I was there, the fog was basically at sea level, right? Ah. And everything had a kind of Lovecraftian. Am I an Innsmouth mm. kind of quality? Right. Love it. Right. Right. It's like I'm pretty sure there's a bridge out there that I can't see, right? Right. And and so forth. And it was. It was unseasonably warm. It was like 60 degrees, right? Woke up on Thursday after being there for three days, wondering where the, you know, yeah. the, the, you know, the Innsmouth guys are coming at, right? Right, right. right. and uh, and it was like, oh, beautiful, clear yeah. skies, <laughs> sunny and lovely, and it was 20 degrees. I'm like, please. Someone stopped the ritual. Some, Yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> yeah. The summoning circle was defeated, and everything is good, right? California yeah. people. You California people, that's, I don't want to hear any whining about the weather. I don't. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. 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 It was a bitterly cold 71 today. <laughs> Come on. Right. You know, the children, the gnashing of teeth, you know, I need an extra scarf. It's only 70. Ah. Right. Hashtag California living. Right. Yeah. 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 So, Christian, have you been playing anything lately? You know, um, I have been fiddling with that game Blinks. Okay. Oh, picked right. up at um, where were we at the conference last time? At Indiecade. Um, Indiecade. I picked those up at Indiecade, and uh, you know I'm uh, uh, someone who really enjoys manipulable games, mm-hmm. things you feel and do with your hands. So uh, I don't play a lot of games with members of my family. So I like to play games that I can do by myself. So this kind of operates like solitaire. Mm. For me, and so I've been playing. I've been playing some of that. I've been uh, playing a lot of roller derby, which is the game that I play with my whole body <laughs> when I'm you know, not being brainy. And uh, that's about it. Um, that's about it right now. Good stuff. Sorry, it's not a more exciting answer. You know, I'm not a. This is something I think is somewhat heretical. Uh, you know, among people who are game. Game, who design games, design games for classrooms, teach class with games, is that I'm actually, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it. I actually uh, don't enjoy board games very often. <gasps> yeah. 
And I wonder whether or not this crosses the minds of people who are into gamification. That is that I grew up in a family that played a lot of board games where the young children were made to play with adults. Right. And uh, the adults played for blood and right. for glory. Right. And, you know, you develop a kind of anxiety around it. So, you know, uh, until I encountered games in high school, like D&D, that were not competitive, that were not uh, about winning and losing and bragging rights, uh, it was largely a, a, a negative experience for me. Mm-hmm. So this day, my husband's like, hey, I want to teach you chess. This was early in our relationship, before we knew what things to avoid. Right? <laughs> <laughs> right? You know? And I'm like, okay, I will learn chess with my husband because I love you and trust you, right? And no, no, no. My brain refused to, to bear the pain of not knowing, right? Um, and uh, so I, there, there are board games that I play and will enjoy, but it's not the first thing that I think to do when I'm like, oh, okay, I'm done with work. You know, I don't think, let's whip out a board game. And I'm aware that I've got many students in my classroom uh, who don't necessarily see games as a fun thing. It may be that in your age group, People still think gaming and fun is something that happens with board games. Right. I think that that's true universally. Certainly, it's not been my experience. Yeah. So there, I come out of the closet with being someone who plays very few board <laughs> games because it was a, a negative experience in my childhood. It was not fun. It was work. Right. It was, right. It was your, it was your, your sense of self-esteem, whether right. I could add as quickly as an adult at backgammon. Right. Right. No, right. Right. So. <clears throat> but you draw a lot of. You drew a lot of. Um, a lot of a particular kind of pleasure from role-playing games, though, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, because that was like reading a fantasy novel and just putting myself inside of it instead of just imagining it, right? Right, right. And I was a big sci-fi fantasy reader, so then you know, D&D was just uh, an expansion of what I already did when I read a book, which was insert myself, you know, kind of what wrap myself in, in, in the alternative world. Right. 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 And then also, you know, when you're a young, young teen and you, you know, you have your own, you know, personal, you know, kind of anxiety issues uh, about who you are and who you wish you could be, then right. um, a different personality is a brilliant way to learn social skills that you, you know, I, I don't know how to explain that, but it seems to me to be a brilliant way to interact with people when you yourself uh, have hesitation about interacting with other people. Right. Right. So right. Those things made sense to me just in a kind of psychological, it just made sense to me. Right? right. And then of course, once I figured out that, wow, I world build in my own head. Um, then, then I began, you know, DMing like, sure. Oh, this is, this is my imaginary world. I can get some graph paper and some colored pencils. And then suddenly I've built a world and I can invite people into my world. Wow. Um, right. and so that was, and then from there, you know, then I played some other, uh, you know, RPG, tabletop RPGs, you know, Call of Cthulhu. Oh, this was a long time ago. This was back when I was in high school. So Call of Cthulhu, what, Toon, uh, which was a great game. I can't yep. think of too many, but yeah. And then also some Marvel, you know, kind of uh, Marvel-verse type of games in high school and through college. Sure. Um, Star Trek type things. So, you know, that depended on who I was gaming with. But so that expanded from RPGs away from not really towards board games, but into a richer variety of RPGs and RPG type mechanics. Right, right. I mean, and then, of course, know, online games. Like, you know, it's not like I don't play World of Warcraft. It's just I only play it in the summertime, you know. Right. When, right. You know, so I don't get fired. You right. Know? <laughs> so, right, right. 
my best computer is in my office and I can't use my office computer to play a computer game and ah so I just leave it I just turn off the account until until summer right 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 <laughs> get, get 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 behind me Sylvanas right 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 well, you get... know what? I'll missed see now this is the kind of game I'll play okay right so it's non-competitive but still has very complicated uh, puzzles to solve that also uh, also draw you into very uh, you know complex storyline and, and universe yep. right yep so that's something I play on uh, you know what do you call on uh, oh I can't remember Steam right oh so no I'm admitting it yeah so there are some games I play Steam on Steam yeah so right. I play Mist you know and uh, Blinks which I enjoy very much um, yep. and sometimes my kids will play with me but otherwise. Yep, that's it. That's it. Well, look, you know what? You you play Call of Cthulhu. So as far as Tracy's concerned, you're in the top 1% of all gamers. Am I a real person? That's right. Right. I played past tense. Are people still playing that? Oh, I hell yeah. Call of Cthulhu. Oh, yeah. really? Delta, Delta Green is basically a version of Call of Cthulhu. Oh. I probably made a whole bunch of people mad about that. But Delta Green is if if the if the government was now in charge of checking out strange happenings and what would they do about it? Right. Yeah. Now I may need to look into that now. See, I didn't yeah. even know that. <laughs> yeah. And oh. I, I still play and DM a lot of call of Cthulhu. Wow. That's great to know. Yeah. That, I mean, it was such a good game to begin with. Like I, but I know, I don't know how the game universe has evolved over time. Everyone's now peek in and the people playing games I've never heard of. I'm like, wow. Right. Yeah, um, I had the opportunity last month to be to speak at a conference called Anyone's Game down at Ringling in uh, oh. in in Sarasota, Florida. Actually, Christian, it, this is Rick Dakin's school. If you remember oh. Rick from from yeah. Ohio State no. hundred years ago, right? And I got the the opportunity to meet Kenneth Height, who's oh. who's a role playing writer of of surpassing output, and he's got his hands in a million different things. But he's the writer of Delta Green. And when I said to Tracy, I'm having dinner with, with Ken Height, all I got back was like, Screaming. Yeah, I think, I think he wrote The Fall of Delta Green. He did write The Fall of Delta Green, yep. Okay, we can't talk about this again. Right. I, can't, I can't do this with you again. I can't do this a second time. Right, right, right. Um, so, Christiane, you've been... Yes. You know, we're going to obviously talk about the ways in which you're doing game-based learning, gamified instruction in your classroom. But where's your classroom? What What do you, you know, the job that you're not being fired from? Where is it? What do you do? Oh, so um, that's my dog destroying the house. Hey, stop it! Excuse me. Um, so I teach at Southern Illinois University Edwardsville, which is actually the Illinois side of St. Louis. It's not really in St. Louis, and uh, I am a history professor. My PhD is in the history of modern Japan, and um, I have minor fields in world history and in a very obscure subject called business history. <clears throat> um, but then I also teach uh, a lot of uh, theory and method for historical theory, social science theory. Um, so I teach from the from the like freshman level all the way up to graduate students. Um, my own <clears throat> areas of interest <clears throat> tend to be around material culture. Um, the production of material and the meanings that materials that are that human beings are producing, what, what those mean uh, symbolically, how those operate inside of a society. So it's a kind of a connection between economy, meaning, objects, this kind of 
abstract thing. But believe it or not, that really tells me a lot about how I teach world history in the course that, I, that I've gamified. Mm -hmm. um, because in my mind, I want my students to make objects. I want them to understand objects they make have meaning, right? And I want them to be able to look at objects and realize that objects from the past in other places and in their own place have meaning and that those things have economic meaning, but not just economic meaning, right? So, you know, that's my kind of like research background right, that has, right. that informs how I choose to teach world history, um, which is quite different, I think, than uh, how most people teach the subject at the introductory level anyway. So is that what you were asking me? Something like that? Yes. Okay. And you, um, and you said that you have gamified a course. Is that a world history course that you've gamified? Yes. So there's, you know, the introduction to world history uh, course is divided in half. And I've inherited the first half from, you know, uh, Paleolithic period uh, to around 1500, even though the 1500 number is kind of squishy, you know, it's arbitrary. Um, and I've been teaching that, oh, in one form or another since 2001. And then uh, after I inherited it full time so that no one else would teach it, <laughs> after they quit <laughs> out of it, um, I began to become extremely bored teaching it twice a, twice a year, right? Yeah. And uh, I needed to do something with it that I thought made it more relevant for students because it's very hard for students to see the relevance of Paleolithic people to uh, their own time period and their own time frame. Right. Uh, and... Uh, I needed to do something that made it more interesting to me because God forbid if the professor is bored. Right. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's it's deadly. A, that's terrible, right? Um, and, uh, you know, so I, it was, it was very clear to me early on that the Paleolithic period was really ripe for, really ripe for a role-playing game. Right. And I wasn't thinking I didn't know the word gamification at the time. I, I had never heard of it. Right? right. What I did know is that gathering and hunting peoples move around space. Right. And the things that they can and can't do are shaped by the spaces that they're in. Right. And I know that they have to interact with the environment. I mean, how different is that from being surrounded by orcs? Right. Or right. goblins. Right. Right. And what kind of weapon do you have to hunt? or gather, and then what bonuses does that give you? And what happens if you're an old guy who's trying to hunt with a young guy's weapon? Like all of this stuff, you know, that's, all this stuff just ma makes sense to me because that's how you play role-playing games, right? right. Um, I just didn't know that anybody did this in a classroom. I, it was really, it was in my head and I'd been noodling with, boy, how would I do that if this was actually a game? And I mentioned it to you, John, I mentioned it to you. Right. Like, you know, this game really, and you're like, wait, let me send you the galleys to my book. And I was like, what? <laughs> right? And I, so, like, I, tripped, I just mentioned it to somebody I know who's a gamer. Right, right. right. And I, 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 I didn't know that it was a thing. And then once I started reading, I realized, oh, this is something that happens in K through 12. <laughs> more right. than anything else, right? So then I had to start to think, okay, well, what would that mean for a university classroom? Okay. And then after that, I, I'm actually the kind of person who, it, I'm unable to tolerate terror. <laughs> so uh, my way of dealing with terror is to just walk, walk into it, right? So uh, the terror that my colleagues would not appreciate my veering off script this far, 
Uh, that was no impediment to me because I had tenure, right? And the idea that it would fall apart in the middle of the semester, <laughs> all right, fine, let it fall, right? That Walk towards it, right? right. The, the idea that my students would get nothing out of it, well, there wasn't a very high risk because I don't know what they were getting out of it by the time I'd been teaching it for 15 years of, with me becoming less and less in, invested in it, right? Right. And right. So I, it was easy to say, well, I don't know what they'll get out of it, but we're going to do it, right? And so I designed for about a year. And I realized as I was designing that, you know, I needed not to make the whole course gamified. First, I had to do it in small pieces where I figured out, gee, is this working? And then I just sprang it on students. They came in my classroom. I said, okay, uh, I'm experimenting on you and you're going to teach me how to do this. And they were on board with it. I mean, that's, that's essentially what happened. And then, uh, then, you know, talking with John about my experience, uh, he was very encouraging. I don't want to talk about it in third person. You were very encouraging that I was doing something that was unusual and uh, worth, worth, worth thinking about with care. Um, you had some ideas with some mechanic issues that I wasn't quite able to see through. Right, right I remember those conversations, right? Right. Yeah, those were hard. And then, you know, I sent you, like, drafts of, like, game manuals and, you know, stuff. Right. You know, I'm, I'm producing stuff now. Uh, and then talked, you know, you suggested, well, you know, you could always uh, focus group and find out what the students thinking or experiencing and I began running focus groups to get some sort of feedback from their side um and you know then I was up and running so that was maybe four years ago and every time I've run the course again I've added a new uh a new module or have adjusted a mechanic or added a mechanic um and so you know there's only one more module that I think I need to work on which is what I'm working on over the summer one more module that I need to work on that then it will have all all four of the modules connected where the the this number two, three, and four that I have right now have been run enough that uh, I need to tweak them less and less because they're more and more functional. Mm -hmm. And also I taught myself the pedagogy of a gamified classroom because building a game, in some ways building a game isn't the hard part. <laughs> right? It's a it's running it's the game thing. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You still have to teach the game doesn't teach you you still have to teach right right so and this is why i named that paper uh games are not magic it's not you know the game is just the door you walk through then there's other things you have to do right so i'm feeling more and more like okay i know what's going on now whereas before it was very much uh fear and trembling but i won't be controlled by fear <laughs> so right that's how it happened yeah i mean truly tracy you, you you'll agree that that as you've run global game right You've had these experiences that are like, what is going, what have I yeah. done, right? right? Like, what is going on in this classroom? This was not, not only was this not what I planned, right. but in my wildest nightmares, this is not, <laughs> this is not what's happening, right? Not dreams, right? right? Because you kind of right. don't remember them sometimes, right? But it's like, no, this is not it, right? Right. And we've all right. had that right. experience, right? I mean. You know, the, that's the, the, true whether it's gamified classroom or not, though, right? I mean, see, if you, that's if you're the teacher, point. Right. right. Things fall apart. That's just, <laughs> you right. know, that's right. how it is, right? You know, when, 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 right, to your point, when I'm, to, when I'm often talking about this to, 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 to folks who are new to thinking about game-based learning and gamified instruction, 
my point is, oh, well, tell me the last time a lesson that you felt really confident in failed catastrophically because of some random factor you didn't account for. Oh, that happened last week. Yeah, let me well, get why you not a take list. A, yeah. Right, yeah, right. Like, why, why not try something new then if you're going to have the same result? Right. Right? You know that method X could fail under condition Y. And you don't know that condition Y will pertain in your classroom until you're in it. Until it's in it. Oh, right. Right. Right? So why not try try something new? Try something new. Yeah. Yeah. But the best, I mean, some of the best surprises come out of the failures, though, right? I mean, I don't think... As a matter of fact, in some ways, this is what I'm teaching to, right? I think that our, our, at least the student body that I teach have been enculturated <clears throat> to believe that failure is uh, unacceptable. Right. And yeah. failure has been to- it's toxic so that they're unable to take risks, right? They're trying to reproduce the right answer that they already have been told. But evolution doesn't work that way, <laughs> right? I mean, evolution works by failure, Think of a single science experiment, any science invention that you can think of or scientific discovery you can think of. The scientific method works by disproving, not by proving. So you need to try something and have it fail. And then you get a better and better and better, stronger and stronger hypothesis, right? And students don't know this anymore. Somehow that's gotten lost in the shuffle of no child left behind. Or I don't don't know what. I don't want to blame it on just one thing. But um, so for me to model failure, in front of students and show right. them how, oh, look at this is what I've learned by this error that I made teaching you. Like that's, that's my job is to right. model that and to talk, detoxify it for them so that they can try to kill the boss in a hundred different ways and have none of them work and have them not be like, n- n- what, not have them shut down, <clears throat> you know, like quit, quit trying. So this is doing science in front of them. This is the only way I know to do it. I think it's really important, you know, you're not just modeling failure, you're modeling appropriate risk-taking, you're modeling innovation, you know. Right. Um, That's a better way of saying modeling failure. Failure is the end point, that's the starting point. Right. (laughs) Right? And they're they're seeing seeing their teacher being engaged, interested, right, as opposed to, you know, what you were talking about. Oh, my gosh, I've been teaching this for... 10 years, 15 years, how many more times can I teach intermolecular forces, you know? Right. Right. Um, right. So we're going to try something different and it might not work. That's right. I'm here with you and I'm trying and we're trying and we're going to get through it together. And I think, <laughs> I think kids, no matter how old they are, right. If they're in, in college, if they're elementary, if they're in high school, they respond to that, right. They That's did. they see your effort and your willingness to grow and learn, and and they have a positive response. They did. They did. And that encouraged me more than anything else was that, okay, they were willing to follow me, right? Right. They were willing to follow me. And uh, I told them, I'm not letting them fall through the ice, right? Just follow me out there. Right. Okay? And uh, that that moved me, right? Uh, that moved me as a human being, that they're willing to follow me out on the thin ice. Right. And uh, that made me try harder. Right. 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 Particularly when you can identify that it's thin ice. You have identified it as thin ice. You've pointed to where it's thin. You're thin. Right. right? And you've said, but we're going to go there anyway. Right. And don't fret. Right. Right. Because if we should have a, if we should run into some issues, I've got tools in this tool bag. Right. 
that go turtles all the way down. Don't sweat it. Right. Right. And what is the what 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 I did? Right. What does the literature on game based learning and gamified instruction and games and gamification say that if you demonstrate and model that you are prepared to take risks, people will take risks because of you you and with Uh, you. Right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That's what the literature says. The second thing that literature says is that young people who have some experience with video gaming are able to persist and demonstrate grit in game contexts. Yeah. Because the game doesn't punish you That's right. for not defeating the boss in a in a timely manner. Right. The boss doesn't care when you when? defeat it. That's right. That's right. You're right? always winning. I'm, I'm still, I'm still here. Still. Right. right. You know, I <laughs> right, got right. I got my sword and my frozen right. throne. You come and kill me anytime right. you like. Right? right. Yeah, that's true. And if it's not today, because you're just not there, it's not right. today. Tomorrow's fine. Right. Well, and you know, here's the thing is, if you do not kill the boss, as far as I'm concerned, we have to discuss and we can discuss why the boss won't die. Right. Right. We can discuss how come this attempt to kill the boss had these flaws. Right. Right. Or, or what it did enable while it didn't enable the death of the boss. So that in my mind as the teacher, the death of the boss is irrelevant. It's the decisions you made in terms of how you try to kill the boss. This is what interests me and what we can in a, in a kind of, you know, uh, you know, in, in a moment of reflection, which you build into the course, we can talk about all the different ways the different teams in the classroom tried to kill the boss and that son of a gun still standing. We can still talk about it, right? right. So it's right. still something you can teach to right. or teach right. through or te- teach with. Right. I, my games are built so the boss won't die. That's that's the thing. <laughs> my, my games are all Kobayashi Maru games. Right. Sense, right? I mean, <laughs> um, they are. Yeah. Right? Actually, I'm writing a paper where I actually throw that term out there. Look, at, there's a reason why you could build a Kobayashi Maru you know, system where my lesson is that uh, organisms, whether or not you're talking about uh, a simple organism to all to a complex organism or whether you're talking about, um, you know, this is coming from big history, uh, a a world history theory, whether you're talking about simple systems or complex systems, the more complex a thing is, the more fragile it is. Okay. So you can think about the sun. This is actually a very simple system it's you know operates with very simple principles right it's made of very few elements uh that lasts a really long time and a more complex thing like a human being right is made up of many many different elements all connected to each other in, to itself in very complex ways and those things we we die in a minute okay and so i'm modeling how that operates so the more complex the political economy is that emerge across the game the easier it is for those guys to collapse. So we start out with gathering and hunting, which is a particular kind of political economy, and we get to empire. And their, their societies get harder and harder and harder to not fall apart. I tried this, Dr. Hintz, I tried that, Dr. Hintz, I tried the other thing, Dr. Hintz, how come my society keeps collapsing? Well, because they're built that way. Because complexity is fragile and difficult to sustain, whereas simplicity is easy to sustain. Simplicity, gathering hunting, 99.9% of human experience is gathering hunting. Why? It worked, <laughs> right? The question is how come and in what context and in what locations human beings quit doing that, right? So in their mind, intuitively, 
or from their own kind of Neolithic bias, right? The more advanced, quote unquote, advanced society you get, the stronger, more powerful it is. But uh, compare gathering and hunting political economies for 99.9% of human uh, existence and Rome. Rome didn't last. It was a poot in the wind in terms of historical time. So they're building systems that are inherently increasingly fragile. That's a Kobayashi Maru scenario. Right. There's no empire that should stand. There's no empire that still exists. Right. right? Even There's even civilizations that exist. Right. Uh, have transformed their political structure 15 times. They have to. Right. Yeah. Right. 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 So that's that's what what we're modeling. And so it's a very they keep thinking that things should get easier, but they just get harder. Right. So that's right. a little bit of a Kobayashi Maru kind of scenario. Why won't my empire survive? Right. Well, can you name one that's still alive? No. Well, then you've modeled history correctly. You oh, win. My collapsed. You win. That's right. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> well, winning conditions are, are are different issues than whether or not your empire survives or doesn't survive. Right. That that's not the winning condition. And even though the winning conditions are different than that, their minds are still groomed. This is the bias. Right. This is the the Neolithic bias. Right. Right. That it's more stable, more comfortable, more easy, better in quotes, whatever that means, to be uh, a farmer than to be right. a gathering hunter. Mm, right. No, it's not. No, it's not. Yeah. So anyway, that's yeah. part of what we're what I'm fooling with, which is why it's a Kobayashi Maru kind of uh, game, game system, classroom. Yeah. Uh-oh. <laughs> nope. And they, um, your students have responded positively? Oh, my gosh, yes. Yeah. Yes, yes. And I mean, I ran it, I, I, I tested it most, the first three years I ran it, for a classroom of 60, right? Wow. So oh, I, wow. Good wait, grief. Wait, let's just all take a moment. <laughs> okay. <laughs> a classroom of 60. Yes. Gamified. Gamified. Wow. Are you killing me now? Yes. Yes. Right. That's amazing. Well, I tried to get a smaller classroom. I kept trying to, you know, can I get an honors class that has maybe 20? Can I get an, uh, you know, IS class that has maybe 20? Can I, I kept trying to lobby, but there are politics to that in, you know, in the department and in the college, sure. right? Uh, and so the only way that I was going to be able to find out if it worked was to do it with the class I had. Right. 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 And, wow. you know, I had taught, I had done dungeon mastering when I was in high school where it was a very popular club. And so there were a lot of people. So I had already done immersive world building, open ended questing as the as the as the designer and as the dungeon master for maybe thirty people, running a, a team of thirty people, which is crazy then. But when you're yeah. high school, you have any you don't have anything else to do, so that's okay. Right. right? I thought, well, <laughs> come hell or high water, I went to the trouble to design this game. Come hell or high water, I'm going to run it with the students I have. Right. And I had one TA. And the class broke into two halves for quote-unquote discussion, right? So we essentially ran the game twice in two different rooms, right? Okay. And together, right? And um, so, you know, I had the world running in classroom 001 and the world running in classroom 002. It was almost all online um, in terms of actual, uh, well, it wasn't even online. It was a matter of like, partly it's an accounting game because we have to count calories, right? We have to count for energy in and energy out in terms right. of these political economies. Um, but there was a lot of email, a lot of m moving parts by communicating by proxy, right? Um, and I had a really good TA. And I handled all of the RPG. I handled all of the 
accounting stuff, so the TA didn't have to fool with that. But essentially, I was running the same game twice in two different rooms. And what's cool about it is that I could show one room the options that the second room did and vice versa. Right. right? So I've got five teams in one room and five teams in the other, right? Two separate continents, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Continents being operated twice, right? And I did that for three years before I finally got to teach it in honors class, which I did th- last fall, this fall, with, you know, t- 20, 20 students. So I taught it at the big size before I did it at the smaller size. I learned a whole lot. I learned a whole lot real fast. What were the differences in the, uh, you know, once you had the smaller group? Yeah. Right. Yeah, and not so much the different. honors part, but the smaller part. No, no. The, the degree of engagement um, was different. Um because, well, no, that is an honors part, isn't it? Can yeah, be. That, that relates to being honors. It's hard to it's hard to tease out. It's hard to tease out. Mm-hmm. Um, but here's the thing: is that uh, with a classroom of sixty, it was easier for students to disappear and not. Hmm. It was easier for for some students to coast. This is what they reported. Uh huh. Right? Okay. All right. It was easy for them to coast and. Uh, let one person or two people pull the decision-making weight um, because the debriefing was shallower in a bigger classroom. Okay. Mm -hmm. And also I suspect because I hadn't yet developed a robust debriefing protocol, right? So I can't tell that it's because the classroom size was different or whether it's just that I hadn't gotten as good at teaching the material. Right, so these are things that they that they described as being difficult. I suspect that organizationally, it was insane. It was insane, but you know I can't quite tell because as soon as the class shrunk to a smaller size, I added a new game and more mechanics. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I just, so I will now be able to make the game do this other thing that I was waiting to do because I had too many students. Like ah, which didn't you know there was no. No convert, no no conservation of time was involved. Right, right, <laughs> right. Or, or very little. Right, very right. little. Um, so, I think probably, I don't know. It's really hard to say because so much was new to me, and I got better at it over time. I really can't say what what went better with one than in the other there are too many moving parts now that you're asking that's a good question i I haven't really thought about it that way all i thought about i mean i've really thought about it in terms of i'm trying to add more more working pieces of the entire class is gamified instead of you know these pieces of the class are gamified right right right. so most i've been thinking about how and also how do i move in-class content online I'm trying to get it's a it's a blended what do you call you know yeah blended blended, blended flipped yeah. yeah right so I mean uh, the actual history content that you would have used in lecture in an actual you know kind of lecture discussion format I'm moving that on to online right and watch a video right if you want to hear about the details of Rome and you need to hear the details of Rome because that gives you clues for how to beat the boss right. Um, that gives you some ideas of strategies you could try if you want to solve the problems that, you know, the Mauryan Empire was experiencing in Northern India or the, right? So the clues for how to, how, how, how to, how to approach the, the game scenarios are all in those lectures. But I had to move that more and more and more and more to offline, right? Or onto, into, you know, videos. 
Um, so that's mostly been what I've been thinking about, not comparing, not comparing student, student performance in one or the student performance in the other mm-hmm. and student experience in one because of the size of the game. It's been all about, well, the functionality of the units, the functionality of the, of the game or the pedagogy. Right, right. It was extremely difficult, but I didn't know any better. Yeah. <laughs> and nothing is very difficult when you don't know. Right. You don't know how Right. I just decided, well, this, this this is who I've got to work with. So this is what I'm going to work with. Right. You've got a bucket of you've got a bucket of hard. And why fill it with boredom? Right. Which is hard when you can fill it with like wildly interesting pedagogical mechanics that maybe won't work or that you come to the conclusion worked in a way that you didn't anticipate. And now it leads you in an entirely different direction. And I'm, I'm afraid that's how I thought about it. Right. That's all to the good. Right. That's how I thought about it. Is it can't, I mean, this is a terrible perspective to start with with teaching. I was like, it can't get worse. I can't, I can't make the students less engaged than they are now. Right. right. I can't make yeah. myself less engaged than, uh, th- than, than I am right now. Uh, and I'd rather a room full of engaged students who are somewhat, who are somewhat disoriented than students who are disengaged and disoriented. Right. Both of those things already existed. Right. right. So, so I wasn't doing any, doing no harm. I managed to do no harm. Right. Right. And did right. Good, a good deal better than no harm. Right. I mean, Tra- Tracy and I have talked about the advantage in decentering the teacher as possessing all knowledge and wisdom oh. at all times. Yes. Yes. Right. That why shouldn't the the high school science teacher initiate a lab? the answers to which the teacher doesn't know going in and has to do science with right. the kids, right? That is actually one of the issues that, and this is an issue that has driven my pedagogy outside of gamification, yeah. right? It's, it, as a history professor, is like, why do students come to me expecting me to tell them that, and that they believe that history is something that you know? No, history is a made thing. People make it. There's some rules by which we try to make it. Right. But if you're not making history, then you're not doing history. I don't know if that makes sense. History is a done thing. It's something that people do do actively, right? It's and, not something uh, you dig up out of the ground like a fossil. You have to It's not just a known thing. It's something you go it. and get and make, yeah. right? And so I need my students to go and make it. And they're just looking at me going like, well, what happened? Well, I don't know. Especially if you ask a question that no one has asked before. Right. Right. And so in some ways, you you dump students into the deep end without preparing them. If you say if you tell them this is what happened, this is what happened, this is what happened. And then on your senior thesis, you say, OK, what do you want to study? Like you <laughs> you set them up and ask an original question, by gosh. Right. You've set them up to not know what to do. Right. Like, I've shot them in the foot with that. So I always have started with I do this history as lab thing, which we don't need to talk about. But the, my point for history is getting students to ask a good question. I don't care if you answer it. How do you find a good question? Right. This is what I want to know. And I, I wish our politicians knew how to ask better questions. They sure don't. I wish our journalists knew how to ask better questions, but they sure don't. Right? So I, I'm teaching students to ask questions more than I'm telling them what the answers are. That's more interesting to me. I mean, you know, as a, as a teacher, can you find out the question? Tracy, do you find yourself more and more, the longer you've been in the profession, caring more about what we might call skills as opposed to content? 
100%. That's what I was just thinking about. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I've switched the way I do labs and chemistry class that are much more about the process and what they're thinking about scientifically and how they're working to collect evidence and what kind of evidence they think they should collect. And right, right. it's all about the skills of how, how do you be a scientist? Right. I don't yeah. care if you get the right answer or not. How, do you, how are you a good scientist? Yeah. Right. What I do care about is whether you have the set of tools that you're using properly. Right. To ask the right questions. Yep. In yep. the hopes that if you get good data in front of you, you'll be reasonably likely to make a defensible conclusion about what the data you think right. says. And that's what we're looking for. The defensible right. argument or the defensible reasoning based on the data that you have. Right. Can you imagine an experiment that you might use, that you might build that could break open this data? How how would you choose to manipulate this data? Which tools would you use on this data? Right, right, to answer right. the question that, that you are that you are uh, posing. Right? The, right, these things interest me. So you know, I want my students to have access, in history at least, to a whole bunch of different kind of data, qualitative data, quantitative data, right, and then using that data, come up with a possible approach to how to beat the boss. This is what they're doing in the game. Right. Right. Um, yeah, very, very similar idea, kind of perspective experience in my own my own work with this kind of, you know, with this kind of method. Right. I mean, I, I, I look back on the teacher I was 22 years ago when I started this very content focused. Right. And, yep. you know, the, the skill of the historian. Well, you know, it's high school, whatever. And now content i mean i just you know I, I i it's not it's not my jam right i just you've got to be able to do things and do whatever things. it doesn't matter what the content is i can teach right. you to do stuff yep. with any content that's right, right. and that's right. you know i was just talking with a colleague who can was you please explain this to the college board word don't even get me going right <laughs> right it's like we've designed Schools are so small C conservative. Yep. They're so timid and sometimes rightfully so about organizational or institutional change, right? Yes. That oh, yes. that they're too afraid to try the new thing because what is what does that say about all the kids who got the old thing? And what if we're wrong about the new thing? Right? Wow. And 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 and, right? So it's like my head is like if you redesigned a school that paid attention to the fact, I say this all the time at work, my school's at TK through 12. The class of 2034 is already here. Mm -hmm. they, were, they are at work in the 2080s. Their children are at work in the 22nd century. Mm -hmm. okay? I care more about that five-year-old being able to navigate the world when they're 50 Right. Than I do about whether they go to Stanford mm -hmm. or Yale. Now, the right. parent can care about whatever they want, but my job as the educator has to be to take the long view. I I believe, right? So what does a long view school look like? Mm, right. That's and that's kind of where I've been 
putting my sort of theoretical head mm. lately, right? Mm. Because to Tracy's point about the college board, what incentive do high performing in the present system schools have to say, we're not going to do AP anymore? They right. don't have any incentive to do that. <laughs> well, and the, the AP other than learning. <laughs> right, right. right. Uh, and that's the, 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 the whole bit, that's the tail wagging the dog with that business. Totally, right? totally. And so, I mean, you know, Tracy, obviously, you know, I mean, you and I, while we were working together, were having questions in an elite independent school about right. moving certain levers of curriculum and instruction mm. against opposition. Right. right? Mm. It's like, well, okay, well, if we pull this. We're likely to get all of this sort of cascade of resistance. Right. Well, we don't want that. So maybe we shouldn't be that ambitious. Let's put that uh -oh. lever back and try this other thing. Right. Wow. And, and that's not to say that I thought our instruction was bad. It was just that it was responding more to uh, an America 2.0 that increasingly doesn't exist. And I right. wanted instruction to move more quickly to respond to rapid change, which even in places like Pittsburgh, which are often viewed as being sort of slower to change, it's simply not true. You look at mm -hmm. Pittsburgh in 2020 as opposed mm -hmm. to 2015, when mm -hmm. I was already three years in living in Pittsburgh, these are very different places. And mm -hmm. 20 years ago to now? There's a lot of change in the way that people do work and the way that neighborhoods are structured and and how much money's coming into the system and all this kind of stuff, right? These all really matter. And instructionally, they 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 can influence the way that a school approaches certain problems. I mean, sometimes a school needs to be really, really struggling before people will take uh, the kind of risk, right? That's you know? unfortunate. Yeah. Um, that's unfortunate, right? Yeah. But may maybe, you know, to in each of our circumstances, you know, we we found our, our ways to a place where taking a risk instructionally felt like the only realistic choice left. Right. You know, Christian, you were saying, I, I'm just I can't do this for another two years, right. let alone another 20 without shaking it up. Right. You know, right. You know, my, my thinking was when I came into Sewickley, uh, you know, I'm the principal and I'm teaching a class. I don't have to teach this class. Right. I'm going to teach this class and I'm going to do it in a way that I hope is unlike the way that many other classes are taught so that people will know, oh, this guy is prepared to come in, teach when he doesn't have to and take kind of weird risks. All right. Well, at least it will set a tone. Right. right. And those people right. who want that will see that as an opening right. to do what they want to do. Right. 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 It doesn't have to be my jam, but if I'm like, well, I want your written plan book in, in ink, you know, on my oh. desk every week. And it's like, oh, it's 1975. Oh. No. Right. Right. Oh, boy. And, and, oh. you, you know, and, you know, it's kind of a yes and kind of scenario. Right. Mm. Um, so, what, what in your sort of sense of this is sort of 
still kind of feedback you're getting from students that maybe you've been getting all along that you mm-hmm. haven't quite figured out how to. Yeah, it's like I know they're going to say X again because I can't quite, you know, where, where are your, oh. you know what I mean? Where's your head still kind of stuck? Or where's the instruction not quite, not quite there yet? Anything? Well, well, uh, a lot of places. I, I don't know which one to choose. Um, partly because the game is modular, okay? Yeah. Meaning that um, it's not one, one game that you play from beginning to end, right? There are different issues that are gamified, and the outcome of each game has some uh, carryover to the beginning of the next game. Okay, um, stitching those together so that students can see the relationship of the outcome of module one on module two, the relationship of the outcome on module two on module three, all the way through. Okay, so it becomes seamless. Mm-hmm. That building a seamless system is something that's still like a badly cooked bowl of oatmeal. Sometimes you get. <laughs> a good texture and sometimes you've got a lump that isn't tasty right so um that concerns me and i'm still working on it and partly i'm working it's it's still in motion because i keep adding a new new mechanic right uh that models something else that needs to be that i can't what it's irrational not to have it okay so spatially for example you know i've got a, a module that deals with city states Right, and then module that deals with empire, and we don't deal with, uh, we didn't deal past tense. We didn't deal with um, intercontinental trade networks, the Silk Road, mm-hmm. right? Okay, until yeah. empire here, but we're still in the same space. So those intercontinental trade networks pre-exist empire, right? So I didn't have a trade, and uh, I didn't have a trade mechanic for uh, urbanity for the. The, the emergence of city-states. But in fact, the emergence of city-states is deeply related to trade networks, okay? So then I had to fix the maps to actually build that connectivity, all right? And once I built that connectivity, then there's the trade system that's operating inside of the urbanity module that is, you know, that is misaligned with the, with the uh, empire module. And then the relationship between those two things is foggy, right? So... You know, those are the kind of like the joint joins in the modules. Mm-hmm. It's something I'm still I'm still massaging, um, and still it takes some it takes some numbers work, as well. You know, just a yeah, so, some numbers work. And but at the same time, uh, trying to preserve in the game the open ended nature of it, so that students can explore where they want to explore as compared to only do the, the the few things that are easy for me to manage if they do, right? Right, right. So keeping it open-ended uh, at the same time and adding a, a rational uh, trade mechanic across a really, really big imaginary space that they only encounter as they move along through the game, right? Right, right. So that's been difficult. Um, I mean, if I had made the entire game one game at once, then those little interconnectivity or transition points probably wouldn't be as rough as they are. But, I mean, the the level of complexity that we're working with, I think, is significant enough that they needed to be more modu- modular, right? How you count 
calories if you're a gatherer and hunter is not the same as how you count, count calories if you're a king of a right. city-state. Right. Right. Yeah, right, right, right. 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 Uh, so I, that's something that I wish that I'm still working on. Um, but in terms of, you know, I've only just seen improvement. Oh, that sounds terrible. Like, I'm not being very thoughtful about it. But um, <laughs> No, it sounds like you're being very thoughtful about it. Just because something's going well doesn't mean you're not being thoughtful. Well, the things that did go well went away. You know, I oh, don't right. do that again. Because because you're thoughtful. Right. <laughs> we'll make that right. I don't. I, don't I mean, I think if you weren't thoughtful, you just keep sort of doing it the same way and not be, you know, making improvements and adding mechanics and yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, you know, Tracy, to to your point, I know that you and I have spoken when we did the Michael Ann Sniggly episode about the ways in which global game is being shaped by the feedback you're getting from students. Right. 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 Oh, it was dynamite. We did an awesome job. There's tons of room for improvement. Right. 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 Well, my students said to me, in in my case, after the first, it was the first two uh, iterations of the game, I I got the same response uh, that I took seriously. They're like, huh, we thought we would be playing against each other more than we thought we'd be playing against you. Ah, nice. Right. So I had the reins too tight. Right, I had to range yeah. too tight because I'm trying to control too many things, and then I had to start to figure out, okay, how do I make the the students be able to interact with each other's teams right. more, right. Uh, and have it less be about me managing all of their individual group experiences to make sure that they get the outcomes that I want. I have to let more risk into the system because, of right. course, I mean, anytime I've played D and D as the as the DM, I, you know, it's it, it's not against me. Right. right. It, it's right. Against the, it, it's it's not about me. So because right. I was still a teacher and still believing in the, you know, you know the, the fourth wall and all this stuff. Right. Yeah. I, had to, I had to let that go. And they called me on it. Right. And they called me on it twice. So then I realized, oh, no. OK, so stop and think about this. Yeah. Oh, right. I am actually doing this. Yeah. Oh, I'd better stop. You're right. right. They, totally. Right. Right. And, and maybe at the beginning it needed to be that way. But once I begin to trust that the mechanic works well enough, then I can let it go. Right. Right. And once right. I also realized that if things unfold that I had not anticipated and for which I have no, no, no answer, I'm the, I'm the DM. I've got a wet magic wand. Right. That didn't happen. You can't do it. There's, there's always some, yeah. some, some, you know, way to save the day if they do something that's totally crazy. Right. right? I will cast Madame X's magic retcon and make that not a thing. <laughs> right. Hey, as I am. And we and reset then- to here. Go. Go, right. right. I mean, you know. if, if, and that's if worst comes to worst and everybody laughs. Right. And I can also give you experience points for having brought me to that position. Right. 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 That's a great thing that you brought me to a place where I have to only my only recourse is to wave a magic wand. That's right. actually funny. Right. right. Have, amuse, amuse the teacher points right there. Right. 10,000 <laughs> points to you. Sadly, you need 10 million to win. Uh, you know, uh, uh, now, both Christian, both you and Tracy have played while I have game mastered okay uh-huh. and you know that players I mean I only like to associate myself with really out of the box thinking kind of players right and I will regularly at the table say huh I'm gonna need to just go to the men's room right <laughs> right give me a minute right and I can remember doing this class my first year at Swickley where uh I, I had uh, initiated a very complicated diplomatic crisis involving the North Koreans, right? And I would force the teams to make decisions 
on insufficient time, right? Ah, it's like, well, right. look, for practical purposes, Governor Romney's plane is going to land in game time in seven minutes. That's and true. when that plane lands, he is going to have to say something. Right. Because he's going to be asked. So you'd better figure out what you're going to have. You made this person in your team the candidate. So right. he's going to have to go out there and answer the question, right? And I can remember in the middle of that crisis, the 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 persons representing the State Department initiated this very strange anti-Chinese <laughs> kind of, like like they tried to be like, they tried to bravado the Chinese, right? Uh, right. And I was like, I just sat quietly. <laughs> And I said, are you sure? <laughs> and they, they looked at me like, oh, dear. And I That's said, I just need you. You haven't said anything publicly yet. This is all deliberation. I'm just asking, are you sure? <laughs> beat, beat, beat. Yes. Great. Ooh, okay. okay. Now, that means that we're going to stop play right here. I am going to think about what you're doing. Right. And I will tell you the international response when right. we when I break it because I had basically class and then I would say okay there's a crisis we have a sort of a crisis game for like right. 8 minutes or 12 minutes or whatever. This one lasted for like 4 weeks as right. it continued to play itself out, right? And basically the upshot of this set of decisions was that in the final simulation, Barack Obama was defeated. <laughs> right? That uh, that Mitt Romney won. Yeah. Sure. Had he won, we would be in the second Romney term right now. Can you imagine? Can't even yeah. imagine. Right? But I that's like the point about, about being thoughtful. <laughs> right? Mm. Let the students guide. Right? Yeah. You know, in, in, the, in the Michael Antoniglia episode, you know, Tracy and Michael Ann were were riffing on kind of different different kinds of student feedback and you know the ways that students will look at the way the game is designed and try to find right find the holes right what have you not thought of where's the yeah. gap that I can drive a truck through right right and uh, those are always fun kind of kind of experiences because we you know, I'll often talk in sort of theory talk about the magic circle of, of the game, right? It has to be nice and tight and separate the game world from the real world. Well, nobody writes a magic circle that's completely watertight or you'd oh. get your rules right the first go, right? right. Even 150-year-old games, baseball, whatever, you know, have things that don't go as expected. Right. It's the way the rule is written. It's perfectly legitimate. Yeah, but it doesn't meet the spirit of the game. All right, so right. we're going we're gonna to change it, right? Um, and that that makes this kind of mechanic as an instructional mechanic, uh, you know, at least to me, unusually fun, right? And the potential for illumination is very high. So, you know, my sense is that uh, the more rigid the mechanic, the, the more rigid the learning goal the more narrow the learning goal right yep um the less illuminating it is 
right? So, I mean, that's the difference between like teaching, like you could, I mean, this is, I mean, I don't want to, my my impression of game-based learning, right, is that the the lesson the lesson that you're pushing for is something that's very 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 circumscribed. It's very small. So, I mean, I I really use like um, Yahtzee to help mm-hmm. my to add right there. Very very small. If if the if the goal is very small, then the ability for illumination is limited, right? If the goal is broader. Then you have to let people loose, and that's scarier. But then the potential for illumination is much broader, right? And so the potential for surprise, and that's always infinitely more pleasurable. Even if it's also sometimes rather terrifying. You know, maybe that for me, the relief of terror after experiencing terror is part of the pleasure. But yeah, I I think so. I think it's more pleasurable for the students because they're the ones who had the question. They're the ones who are running the test. Right. They were running my test. They were running theirs. Right. Right. And that's that's more interesting, I think, for them. So, Christiane, you mentioned uh, an article you were working on. Mm. Will you will you share a little bit with us or is it too too early to, to share? Well, there's not a lot of content yet. It was an article proposal uh, on facilitating failure. So mm. it's a, a journal. Uh, um, uh, what is it called? Simulation and gaming is a journal. They're they're wanting a, a special edition on or spe- special uh, issue on um, facilitation, right? On facilitators. What makes a facilitator a good facilitator? What does a new facilitator have to know? How do you define uh, a good facilitation? These kinds of right. chunky issues. And um, for me, uh, I, I have, and this is something I've learned over years of teaching, not just in terms of gamification, that students really have a hard time uh, risk-taking. That it Minimally, the generation of students that I've been teaching have become decreasingly, or how can I say increasingly, risk-averse. And yep. in my mind, their risk aversion is rational, even though I think that the professoriate in general, the discourse about student and risk is, is derisive. Right? It's, it's, they're, they're derided for not being risk takers. Never mind that for the entirety of their education, they've been punished for risk taking. Right? right. I mean, they've been taught it, there's a disincentive to being wrong. Right. So then I invite them to my class and say, hey, we're going to go play a game that's open ended and I'm not going to tell you the answers first. You're going to derive the answers. And they look at me like. Like I like I broke wind at the at at the the family funeral, like like they they can't wrap their heads around the thing I'm asking them to do. So the idea I mean, there there's a a, there's always a core of students who are gamers who are like, woohoo, and they want to dive right in. And there are others who look at me like, what is it you're asking me to do? Now, right. I, I, this was in an honors class where I had a student who followed me after every class and saying, what if we do this? What if I try this? What if we try this? What happens if I try this? What if I happen, I, Try it. <laughs> you expect me to tell you what to try? <laughs> yes, right? because if I browbeat you enough, you'll tell me. Well, he was he really was in a state of panic. Of course. Like, what will happen if? Well. Something. Something will happen. Try, right. I promise I won't laugh. That, that's, I can tell you what won't happen. I'm not going to tell you what's going to happen. That's, I can, that's all I can promise you, right? And this is not just an honor student issue. This is something that's happened, uh, I've noticed, across the, the career of my teaching since, you know, since early 2000, 
right? In the 20 years of teaching, that students have become increasingly terrified of being wrong. Yeah. And I think yeah. that that's systemic and it's not their fault. And because of the way we've been teaching and how teaching has moved in our country, especially, you know, I'm not sure, certainly among the students who are coming from the public schools where my students mostly come from, that's rational, right? This is not a sign of um, mis... I mean, they, they're right to be afraid to fail in right. terms of how the system has, has been evolving over the last 20 years. And so then my job is to, to figure out, all right, how can I, as the facilitator, reteach them this skill to fail? That, that's what I need to do. And as far as I'm concerned, where I'm talking about the facilitator and gamification, my first job is to make this a place safe to be wrong, and not just safe to be wrong, it's useful to be wrong. Right. It's it, it's the thing you want. So if a person comes in and guesses how to kill the boss in the first in the first instance, I can't teach that. That was an accident. Right. That's not reproducible. Right? That that, right. that that's that's useless. Right? So you don't get no points for killing the boss in the first on the first hit. Right. You're learning and you're doing experiments and you are manipulating the scientific method by failure. And your failures are the things that I notice. And I don't call them failures, but right. These are your hypotheses that you're testing. All right. Let's test this hypothesis. Let's right. look at team A's hypothesis, team B's hypothesis, team C's hypothesis. Look right. at the outcomes. And can we explain the outcomes of those hypotheses? None of which worked. Now, retool your hypothesis, right? So a facilitator is the person who is going to make, quote-unquote, failure functional. And if you can't do that, then you're not facilitating where I think our students are psychically, intellectually, and emotionally broken. Yeah. This yeah. is a place where I think our, my students are broken. And, you know, there's a percentage of teaching for me that's putting Band-Aids over over wounds from high school and junior high school and elementary school, right? And this needs more than a Band-Aid. Uh, and it, I think it shows up in the gamified classroom because I've dumped them in a situation where they're being asked to do something they don't know how to do. Right. Whereas if it was just a regular lecture, lecture discussion classroom, they know how to do that. Correct. There are some who know, who figured out, oh, I need to know what the teacher's telling me. These are the important things. And then I'll repeat them. Or I know I know that if I didn't get it right, it's because I didn't say the thing the teacher needed me to say, uh, and that's it. <clears throat> and it's unfair for me to pull the, the I mean, in gamification, I'm pulling the rug out from under their feet. And so no wonder I have students who are, you know, kind of looking like Scooby-Doo. No, it's like, not getting traction, right? Right. And worse, they think they're supposed to be having fun. <laughs> right. This is supposed to be fun. What? I don't know. Where's the fun in this? Not knowing what I'm supposed to do. Where's the safety? Right. So, I mean, I, and I think that when I look at my students, uh, it maybe also, and I, I, I say this in the paper, is that no matter how much gamification is uh, engaging, and no matter how enjoyable games are as an activity, students at the university level. Uh, boil things down to real politic real fast, right? No matter how engaging or enjoyable, they need a grade. They want to know what the grade is. Right. Because yeah, they want right. to go to medical school, they want to go to the business school, they want to do this, they want to do the other thing, and 
university grade, that's the last grade anyone's going to look at and care about, right? So everything does still boil down to their concern with this extrinsic evaluation. No matter how much I say, no, no, I'm interested in intrinsic, no, no, that's, that's all great in theory. But for them, the experience is I need to get a B or I need to get an A and I need to know how to do it. And I need to know how much of my energy I'm going to give to this course compared to calculus. So it's very much real politic for them, right? And that undermines the the joy that is yeah, part of the learning, learning that I want. Learning. Yeah. Right, right. So they're still riding that 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 fence, even though I'm trying to seduce. Reality is is making them seduction proof, or some portion of them seduction proof, right? Right. You know, and, hope, uh, the, the the hope is that if you get there. When they're through with anything that has that kind of extrinsic uh, alignment, and right. they are just themselves, right? Right. Oh, I'm 30 years old. Now what? Well, I've always been interested in this thing. Right. Well, I actually have the capacity to learn, learn. Right. without it being extrinsically motivated, even though I was mostly extrinsically motivated previously. I've actually okay. been given the right the right mm. the right uh, set of skills that i can draw on to learn about whatever well i mean ideally your students would come to my classroom right and then we wouldn't have to fight this battle right right I- I- ideally students who've been educated in the way in the ways of intrinsic motivation right who felt learning as a joyful thing that may be uncomfortable you know cuz it hurts to stretch anytime you use an unused muscle, right? But by the time students come to my classroom now in reality, uh, all of the muscles that we're talking about have already atrophied. They, they're atrophied, they're not there. They weren't, they weren't of any use <laughs> in terms of getting to the public school. So they didn't, they, have no, they have no muscularity for risk taking, right? So then I'm in remedial, remedial exercise right. for risk taking, whereas ideally I would love to have your students, right? And then see where they could fly. Right. Right. So, um, yeah. So if you're if you're a facilitator at the university level in a gamified classroom, I wish more people knew that the university student comes with a different set of anxieties that are built upon anxieties that they learned in high school and junior high school. But because there are pressures on them, they cannot play the way you can play in high school. They they don't. Buy that marketing. They they're jaded enough to know we're having fun here, but at the end of the day, I still need a grade, and that gets in the way. In in, so, in, in this regard, your experience what? is exactly like Tracy's and mine. Oh, really? Okay. Oh yeah. 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 We okay. Teach at college prep schools. Yeah, where, that's right. Where and worse because your their parents your, their parents are all up in your face then, right? My, generally, Sometimes, but you, yeah. Right? Wow. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I was imagining that maybe in your independent schools you had more freedom, you know, to – well, I don't know. I went to private boarding school as a kid, right? And I loved learning. I had a great time. But it may be that I'm just, you know, I'm one of that tiny group of people who, you know, has that. We like, get those kids oh, all the time. Right. Yeah. Right? But, but there's but also that has- focus, right? right? I have got right. to go to Stanford. Right, right. Or it is social death. It is social, and it's social death that they're worried about. 
that's what that's what's crazy, right? I mean, I right. went to those kind of schools when I was in high school, so yeah. Yeah, you you have a sense of that, yeah. Yeah, um, no, well, I ended up going to Ohio State and horrifying people, but look at it came out okay that I went to Ohio State, didn't it? Right. I'm so glad so. you went to Ohio State. Me too. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I'm really glad. Uh, I'd have been lost at Stanford. It wouldn't have been any good. Yeah, yeah I think about. I got in early uh, to Emory. Okay. And I'm like, I wonder who I would have become. Right. Under Emory's cultural influence as opposed to UMass's cultural influence. Right, right, right. And I'm right. like, oh, I think I actually... Came out okay. Landed okay, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Came out okay. All right, so, so we're, we're, right, we're, right. we're long. Uh, okay. Do you have two games, Christian, that you might recommend that an educator sort of new to this play maybe role-playing games systems that you like or that kind of thing could games across the spectrum video board role-playing card doesn't matter give 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 the listeners two things to play yeah so uh getting students to uh work in groups at the university level and to think about games in a non-competitive way i recommend mysterium great choice right so when i'm thinking about games that I, i i learned a lot about uh, when, when I realized, oh my gosh, there are board games that aren't about, you know, what, you know, zero sum games, right? Right. Right. Stereo one that I encountered that I was like, oh, wow, what a beautifully, what a beautiful mechanic, what a beautifully organized game, right? Yeah. And then of course, then I'm thinking about, well, how can I borrow that? How can I borrow pieces of the mechanics of that to solve problems that I have in uh, the the module that I'm working on for this over the summer? which is actually a board game. See, someone who doesn't like board games is still building a board game for her class. Right. Which covers uh, gathering and hunting, right? So um, Mysterium is a really, really good game, I think, for that. Um, I think that if you are interested in in gamification and uh, have not gone and investigated D&D basic, like the basic D&D, if you don't know how to world build, if you can't imagine... Uh, how to make an alternative reality for your students to operate in? Go back to the basics. Like that—that's something I would—I would—I would suggest. Um, and then also, I have to say that I'm really impressed. I—I I got uh, you had recommended these games, and I look at them. I had gotten um, oh, dialect, and also yeah. uh, I'm having a brain—a brain seizure. The um, quiet year. Quiet year. Okay. Also, two games that are about community building, right? And I like them because they actually make you make things. Remember, I'm into material culture. Like you make things, you make a map as a community, right? Yep. You make yep. a language, and those things have meaning. Those interest interest me very much as classroom tools. Um, very much so. I think that games have become uh, all entirely. Uh, in in your head, especially because of, of like computer games and video games, I want people to make. I want people to make, and I think that it's a powerful tool. Um, yeah, I mean, I want people to make history. I want people to make art- artifacts, make objects. I, I'm more than I've had enough of having students make five paragraph essay. You know, it, in, in gaming world history, you know, students um, make myths. They make codes of law. They make art, they make graffiti, they make all kinds of things. And right. that makes it burn, it burns it into their into their brain in a different way than if we just say, well, the Romans made graffiti. That's not enough. 
right? So any kind of game that's going to involve making is of deep interest to me pedagogically. Right. So those are some that I would I would I would recommend people look at. In the presentation you gave at Indicate, you had a a slide, a, a piece of graffiti visual culture that was like, I, I have to feed on, you know, what, oh, did, what was I, that slogan? Uh, oh, that's uh, someone was doing a graffiti about a mass famine, uh, and it was a thing about their king. If I if I want to, if I want to feed myself, I I have to eat your lies, something right, like that. Right, something right. like that. I'm like, mm, right. yes, you, you get it. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Right? And it was yeah. it was perfect because in the storyline of, of their of that, the king had tried to uh, make the famine about something else that it was caused by something else. Right. And uh, so they built this piece of graffiti that was a complaint. You know, I have to eat your lies if I want to eat. Like, whoa, that's deep. Yeah. Yeah, that's the good Very stuff. Powerful. Well, and not not irrelevant. See, not oh, irrelevant. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. that's exactly the point. Hmm. Yeah, exactly. You're making these connections, right? Right, right. Um, so are those good choices for games? I don't know. <laughs> don't they're know dynamite choices, choices. Yeah. for sure. Um, you've deployed all of the modules. No, everyone except for the gathering and hunting module, which so is the one I started with. Remember? Right. Right. So we're going to have you on again after you deploy the first module. Yes. Okay. And have us talk through. Okay. Well, now you've got the completed system. Right. Okay. Where? How you feeling it? Did right. it help? Now are you? Oh my word! Now it's ganked all the other modules after it in some weird way, right? Uh, we'll follow up with it after you've done. Uh, it might actually be fun to meet up at a con, and then we can uh, we can beta test it together. That would be fun. We will yeah, be at I Origins. Yeah, I want to take this whole class. Right? <laughs> right. Well, right. I would love to have some more educators look at look at it. Well, I mean, it's a complicated. It's a complicated. Uh, uh, I guess we're running out of time now to tell you all about it. But you have to play the same game five times, and each time you play it, you add another layer of of mechanics. So that by the time you get yeah. to the fifth time, you're playing all of the game. Right. As compared to playing one piece of it at a time. And yeah. you switch ecosystems every time. There are five ecosystems. Every time you play one ecosystem, you switch to a different one, play the same game with another game later on top of it, so that by the time you get to the end, you will have experienced how gatherer hunters would have to build political economies in all different kinds of ecosystems around the world. Right. Yes. Right. Yes. So yes. Yes and yes please. Yes, okay. sign me up. I'm ready. Right. All right. Okay, What's now. That? Now, Christiane. What? Yes. Tracy and I will both be at Origins in June. Ooh. Okay. It is, is it spring? It is no. in Columbus. Ooh. Okay. 400 miles from Edwardsville, Illinois. Dead. That is a one day's <laughs> drive. Six Ooh. hours. And so. by June, I won't have, I won't have, I won't have the, the board and all the pieces built yet. That's my plan to do that over the summer. But you should come anyway. But we can play Call of Cthulhu. Ooh, I didn't need to hear that. <laughs> let, let me look. Let me look. Okay, let me yeah. look. In Columbus, I have friends. I can sleep on people's floors in Columbus. Yeah, right? I mean, investigate that's all good. Investigate I can do it cheap. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. We hmm. have we have some we have some good times in Columbus, right, Trace? Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! It's a happening place. Last year. <laughs> Christian, I game so hard in Columbus. Right, <laughs> I, I, it's like we were sort of 
playing and sort of noodling and i had set up sort of i was presented for from like nine to eleven in the morning on thursday friday and saturday i gave my little presentations and whatever and then you know it's sort of like one o'clock i would see tracy coming down the escalator you know it should be like you know Uh. like hammered right it's like tracy how you doing uh Fine, I've been playing Fine. Call of Cthulhu for nine hours. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm good. I'm going to get a pretzel and I have to go back in. <laughs> right. 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 35 minutes to get a pretzel and then go to the bathroom and get back to my table because right. I want to get first pick of characters. Right, I'm like, John, I don't think she's going to make it. It's Thursday. I mean, she's going to make it all barely, the way to Sunday. Right. Do you remember? I was so wrecked on Sunday. Remember I left my keys in my car in right. the ignition? Oh, Lord. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. my gosh. That's yeah. funny. Yeah, yeah. It was. I mean, you. I mean, Christian. You know that you go to one of these cons and you just get you get wrecked at the best. Yeah. But boy, Tracy was like. I had to maximize. Right. Wow. wow. <laughs> right. It's like Tracy. That fire hose is too big. I'm yeah. fine. Ah! But she did it. She survived. The last totally. Thing. Boy. Yeah. Queen of fire hoses. Whoa. I'm going yeah. to try to relax a little bit this year, like yeah. calm down a little. Yeah, she's only going to play 18 <laughs> hours a day. That's Eight? right. Rather okay. than 20. Yeah. So you got to join us. Um, I will put that on my schedule. Think look and it. see what I can do. Yeah. Um, look and see what I can Yeah. So, uh, listeners, you know where to find us www.gameleverlearn.com, the Game Level Learn Facebook group. Uh, you can email me at uh, johncassie at gmail. Uh, I'm on Facebook as well at John Cassie. I tweet at John Cassie. It's just basically John Cassie. You, you'll figure it out. Tracy, your uh, your Tracy name. Tracy Wozenegger. So sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't changed your name to Jones yet, Tracy. No, so it's still Wozenegger with has like to the Wozenegger. <laughs> three Z's, a G or two, nine N's, one, a W, one, right? One Z, two G's. Um, but yeah, you always put my email address in the show notes and everything, right? Right, right. Yeah, T. you can L. find Wozenegger. me on Facebook and all that stuff. The Discord, which I'm trying. To, we're getting some more people in here. Right, you um, wanted to make a program. Things note. are happening. Um, and speaking of, one of the listeners who just recently joined the Discord, Robbie, um, has offered to run... Um, some role-playing games for anyone who's interested. Um, so he made a, he actually made a post in Game Level Learn um, on the Facebook that you can check out. Um, and uh, you can find him on the Discord. But um, he is offering to run games starting this Saturday, March 14th, um, from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern. Um, so... Um, 8 a.m. on the Pacific Coast, um, and he's planning to use um, The Pool by James V. West. Um, the rules are about four pages long. Um, character creation seems pretty easy. You get 50 words. That's it. Um, to detail your character's talents, profession, skills, personality traits, special objects, relationships, whatever, but you just get 50 words for that. Um, and his first... Um, scenario that he pitched to me um, is a uh, takes place in a high school called Palmer Eldritch High School. Their mascot is the Lunar Moths, nice. um, and their school colors are blood orange and reddish green. Um, so, if you're not familiar with Call of Cthulhu, um, 
you wouldn't maybe recognize that Eldritch is a uh, a little tip off that this is going to be maybe a little Lovecraftian. You know, something's not quite right um, at this right. high school, Palmer Eldritch High School. So if you're interested, um, please reach out to Robbie on the Facebook. Um, he has a post there or join the Discord and look for him there. Um, I'm happy to connect people as well um, to Robbie, but that was an extremely generous offer. Um, it, it sounds like it's going to be tons of fun. I'm sadly not going to be available, so I won't be able to play. But um, as I was telling John earlier, I already have, you know, eight character ideas in my head right, um, right. for people that go to or work at this high school. Um, so, yes, please um, check out the Discord. Check out Robbie's post on Facebook. Um, and if you're interested, let him know. Yeah, I'm pretty sure this uh, uh, that Robbie uh, and I met at this Anyone's Game conference. Okay. And uh, I did a presentation there about social emotional learning skill development and role playing games, right? Right. And uh, he and I, uh, he came up afterwards. We hit it off immediately. I did a, a Google Hangouts with him, uh, you know, a week after the, the show. And he's doing this ridiculously interesting unit on sort of role playing games themselves as kind of works of literature. Uh, you know, so he's having oh, his kids read yeah. and study mm-hmm. role-playing games and play them as kind of units of kind of literature themselves. I was like, this is ridiculously interesting. Yeah. And this article that I've got contracted to write about role-playing games in SEL, I'm like, well, maybe I can interview your students Ooh. and get some good focus group data out of that. So, right, right. Yeah, Um yeah, he was he was dynamite. He's definitely going to have to be a guest on this program. Right. I was uh, going to say, yeah, he should be a for guest. For sure. For sure. But yeah. So yeah, please, um, if you've never played a role-playing game or you want to learn a different role-playing game, um, see if you can get into his game. Brilliant. Yep. Christian Hintz. We've been at this a long time, haven't we? We have. We have. Yeah. yeah. And this was an extraordinary episode. You are You are brilliant. And I can't wait oh, to see what the next work is. So many snippets of things that you said to remind oh. myself. Yeah. Oh, if anything I say is helpful to people who are interested in gamifying their classrooms. I mean, it, that's what I really needed is to have someone to tell me that what I was doing was okay. And if I want, I mean, that's something that I want people to know. Like what you're doing, it's okay. Like, right. Risk yeah. it. That's how you will learn to do it. Risk it. Right. 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 Yeah. If. Um, if listeners want to get in touch with you, Christiane, how might they do that? Oh, the easiest way to get in touch with me is by my uh, work email address. That's C-H-I-N-Z at S-I-U-E dot E-D-U. You can also reach me through my website, which is uh, www.gamingworldhistory.com. Yep. All small caps or small letters, no caps. And uh, you can reach me that way as well. Brilliant. Christiane, a thousand thanks for coming on. Tracy, as always. Sorry, I'm already looking at the website. Uh, right. <laughs> I'm already looking at our website. <laughs> and folks, thousand thanks for inviting me. Really we'll, uh, we'll be back next month for another episode of, of Game Level Learn with another brilliant educator. And yes. uh, until then, game on. Game on. Okay. Bye. I send them to him and he does nothing. I... <laughs> Welcome to Game Level Learn. I'm the punching bag of the day, John Cassie, and I'm joined as always by my bitter enemy, 
<laughs> and co-host. So happy to be here. <laughs> It started and already I'm tired. I'm done with you. <laughs>